0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. After allegedly firing on the 4th of July parade from a rooftop, the Highland Park shooting suspect got in his car and fled. After an eight-hour manhunt by the FBI and local police, North Chicago police officers found him around 6.30 yesterday evening, still driving in Lake Forest. Now, the suspect was considered armed and dangerous, but police officers apprehended him peacefully. Hearing that news, it's hard not to think about the hundreds of unarmed black men and women who have been shot and killed by police. Now, just a week ago, police in Akron, Ohio, shot Jalen Walker, who was a 25-year-old black man, 60 times. Walker was running away and he was unarmed. Was the Highland Park suspect perceived as less dangerous because he was white? While you think about that, let's jump back to the phone lines. We've got a couple callers who are standing by. Here's Catherine in Lakeview. Hey, Catherine, what's on your mind?
1: You know, Sasha, I am uh, heartbroken about our country. I'm exhausted. Uh, I'm not going to turn the part of myself that cares off. But um, it's too stressful as a 75-year-old woman, and people say, oh, you have to fight. You have to fight for women's right to choose. You have to fight about God's... I'm tired of fighting, Mm -hmm. and my husband's cousin cousin and wife and two kids were at the Highland Park parade. They're all right. They escaped. I don't know what the long-term effects are going to be, but I'm tired of reading the news, and there's nothing good to read. So we are seriously considering moving out of this, uh, of the United States. And, um, yeah. we found a community in Mexico that has a lot of expats and, um, we're going to spend two months there this winter. And, um, I think it's time for us to get out of Dodge, frankly.
0: Thank you for calling Catherine. Here is David in Waukegan. Hi. Hi, David. What are you thinking? Hi, uh,
2: I'm I'm so glad that you brought this up. That the two things that stand out to me is this is a tragedy, but it's a slow. It was a slow moving one. Um, you know, we're finding out that he he had violent in imagery on the internet. Um, there were there were all of these things that could have clued somebody in that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And the most remarkable thing to me. Uh, and you said that you were getting ready to talk about this in depth. As a Black man, the most remarkable thing to me is that he is still breathing. He was taken alive. Uh, And this is someone who killed six people and harmed uh, several others. Mm -hmm. I think the number was 20. And he was not injured by police. Uh, He was definitely not killed by police. Um, And yet... We have man in o- a black man in Ohio, who uh, got sixty bullets pumped into him. He is dead. We don't. We don't know what, what. We will never know whether he was innocent or guilty or anything of that nature because he is dead. Yeah. Um, but Good this, points, this David. man was taken alive.
0: Thank you, David. And we'll talk about it now with Rayshawn Ray. He's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and a professor of sociology at the University of Maryland. Welcome to Reset, Rayshawn.
3: Hey, Sasha, thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: So break it down for us. When it comes to the police apprehending a suspect, how is that supposed to work?
3: Well, I think it depends on the dynamics, but typically what police officers are aiming to do is to use the least amount of force while also getting the person to comply. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that when police officers give a command and a person does not oblige that command when they don't do what the officers are saying Police officers are oftentimes trained to use more force, to escalate instead of de-escalate. And interestingly, in a lot of incidents, we that we see that playing out, mm-hmm. but in others we don't. And research documents that oftentimes those differences fall along racial lines, not necessarily in always seeing more force. And Jalen Walker, I think it's it's hard to argue that we did not see overkill to say that lightly. 90 bullets shot at him, 60 bullets hitting him in his head, his stomach, his legs. But oftentimes we see a form of white deference where when police encounter white people, they are less likely to do some of the things that they are trained to do, whether we're talking about Highland or we could also go to Kentucky, which is a situation that a lot of people are not talking about where Lance Stores was being served a search warrant and he killed three police officers. And guess what? He was apprehended safely. And he happened to be white.
0: Wow. What changes then when police think a suspect has a gun? I mean, in this case, we hear he had two, right? Not just the the high-powered rifle that was used to kill six people at this parade, but there was also another rifle on standby in that Honda Fit that he was driving.
3: That's exactly right. I mean, it was very clear that this person was armed and dangerous. Dangerous, of course, being a big one, that police officers can perceive a threat and they are protected oftentimes under law with this perception of threat that gives them the ability to use an undue amount of force. Oftentimes what happens though is that police officers are using their own perceptions, oftentimes their own experience and stereotypes by which to make decisions. And the big elephant in the room is the fact that blackness becomes weaponized. So even when a black person does not have a weapon, even when, uh, even when it's known that they don't, oftentimes their blackness gives the impression that they are dangerous. So it comes along with the armed and dangerous perception. Mm-hmm. Conversely, oftentimes when law enforcement interacts with a white person, Not only do they perceive them to be less threatening, but they also perceive them oftentimes in their minds that this could be someone who they might interact with on a normal basis, a family member, a friend. And that little split second oftentimes makes the difference between whether Uh. or not they pull uh, whether or not they pull their weapon and shoot it or not.
0: And it leads them to say things like I I was listening to the uh, video footage that uh, was uh, shared yesterday when when the suspect was apprehended. And you can hear the officers say, put your hands up, all the way up. Now do me a favor, turn around. And a lot of folks on social media are saying, do me a favor. How dare you? With this right. highly dangerous suspect, do me a favor?
3: Yeah. I mean, that's an example of the deference. How nice. That some people get that others don't.
0: Police training is different from state to state, Rayshawni, and and even from town to town, right? What are some things that differ between those trainings?
3: Well, oftentimes what differs in the trainings, it's not necessarily the categories of training. So whether it be de-escalation training, uh, firearms training, training to drive a vehicle, which officers spend a lot of time doing. And then, of course, implicit bias trainings, which which have came up. But then there are other sorts of training, mental health training. I mean, uh, police officers actually go through a lot of training. The problem, however, is the qualitative difference in the training. Now, when we look in a cross comparative uh, light, meaning comparing the United States to other countries around the world, the United States gets subpar training. Oftentimes, when we talk about the length of training in other countries, Police officers, law enforcement are getting training for a much longer period of time. In the U.S. context, they're getting these categories of training, but they vary. Let's take, for example, use of force training, a de-escalation training, which is a big one that people want to talk about. Mm -hmm. There are some departments that do uh, de-escalation training for 48 hours, meaning four to eight hours. There are others that might do, say, a week or two. Uh, course. But the big thing that I found and and I I do a lot of these trainings at the University of Maryland, where I direct the lab for applied social science research, we have a virtual reality training program. So I know this space very well. This is the space I'm in. This is what I do. That what we oftentimes see is that police officers, if particularly if you're in a large department, some officers are getting a certain type of training and others are not Mm. frequently due to a lack of funding. Smaller departments are even less likely to get this type of training. They just simply don't have the resources. So there's a huge variation in what happens. But what we do know is that de-escalation training significantly reduces the likelihood that police officers pull their weapon and shoot it. And partly that's because they are taught to communicate better, which is one of the big things that our training program does.
0: This is Reset. We are talking about how police apprehend suspects and why the white Highland Park shooting suspect was apprehended peacefully when so many black and brown people are shot and killed in similar interactions. With us is Rayshawn Ray, who's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and also a professor of sociology at the University of Maryland. A reminder, our phone lines are open at 866-915-WBEZ. So uh, you alluded to this earlier, Rayshawn, you, you know, that Highland Park suspect, uh, he grew up in Highland Park, right? Uh, do you think that it helps if police know you or at least know of you? Yeah, most definitely.
3: But it oftentimes depends on what they know you for. (laughs) So so if you're perceived to come from the right side of the tracks, which is oftentimes not only about social class, but it's also about race, then you're going to be given the benefit of the doubt. People frequently will say, oh, I know their parents or I know them. They're good people, that sort of thing. And so it leads to a level of deference where you're going to have a conversation with them like, hey, I know I know this kid, you know, this kid's family. And even when a person will make that statement. He's a grown man. But a person might say, I know this boy, I know this kid's family Mm -hmm. because that is the perception they have for them. Conversely, uh, black teenagers um, are perceived as being older. So they lose that ability to be perceived as being innocent or Mm -hmm. as making a mistake. So knowing someone makes a big deal. And here goes the key point. Police officers are significantly less likely to live in predominantly Black and Latino neighborhoods that they over-police. And they're more likely to live in the suburbs and predominantly white communities. And that is where that benefit of the doubt really comes into play.
0: The phone lines are lighting up as you speak, Rayshawn. You noted also that uh, police respond to suspects just as violently as they did before the Black Lives Matter uprising back in uh, 2020.
3: Why haven't things changed? Things haven't changed because we haven't seen the policy change that would move the needle. We know that on the federal level that the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act failed. Uh, some of my research was being used to help inform that. It was, it was a, a travesty and a tragedy to say it, to say it lightly. At the state's level, in certain states, we have seen some changes. But they really haven't been the sort of changes that will move the needle. They've been things like uh, community oversight boards, which are important, but haven't been implemented correctly. Of course, uh, implicit bias, de-escalation, source of trainings. But what should be happening is not only thinking about qualified immunity, but there's also a way to address police accountability more broadly, and that is dealing with civil settlements. We know in the case of of, of Jalen Walker, there is going to be a huge civil settlement. That the city of Akron will pay out. Mm -hmm. And even though police officers might not get charged or convicted, which rarely happens anyway, over 90 percent of the time, they're never charged or convicted. But uh, in spite of that, there's going to be a large civil settlement that uh, that citizens of Akron are going to have to pay for That will not come out of the police department budget that continues to let them off the hook for these sort of overkill incidents
0: we're gonna have to bring you back to talk more about this but before you leave rayshawn you've got a new campaign that's encouraging folks to be the change what does that mean
3: so look we are living in a very what what we feel is an uncivil and intolerant time and part of what we have to do is is realize that we all have a role to play and what i've done is teamed up with work until which creates amazing products to be able to think about what it means to be the change for all of us to do our part. And it's what I call, progressing from being a racial equity learner to being a racial equity advocate and a racial equity broker. We have to learn about the way inequality operates. These are difficult times. It is a simple fact that black people are 3.5 times more likely than whites to be killed by police when they're not attacking and don't have a weapon. We have to acknowledge that. Then we have to communicate that to others. And then we have to work to change the policies, procedures, rules and regulations that govern over us so that we can remove these racial disparities and be the change is really aiming to highlight everyone playing a role in that process.
0: I'm going to squeeze in a caller uh, before we go here, Rishon, then I'll get you to respond on the back end. Here's Patty in Northbrook. Hi, Patty. Welcome to Reset.
1: Hi there. Thank you. Um, I'm a little disappointed because I believe that you made a very unfair comparison because when Jalen was uh, pulled over, he pulled over, but then he fled police and then he shot out of vehicle. And then when they got up to him again, he fled from vehicle. When this monster shooter from Highland Park was pulled out where he complied. He complied with the police, and that is why I believe that he wasn't killed. And I think someone should do a study on how many whites and blacks and Hispanics are killed if they comply. Well,
0: I think we might have the, the man on the line who has done that research. Uh, thank you, Patty. Appreciate your call. Rayshawn?
3: Yeah, I, I just said the stat. I don't know how else to say it in a, in a clearer way. Black people are 3.5 times more likely than white people to be killed by police when they are not attacking and when they don't have a weapon. Who says that? Police officers, when they are not attacking and when they don't have a weapon. Part of thinking about this with Jalen Walker, he had a gun. Guns are not illegal in Ohio. Teachers are about to get them. The thing about the gunshot that happened before the chase, similar to what happened in Highland Park. He had on his mask, which was strange, but he led them on a chase. Those are not deadly acts. Those are criminal acts. And the reason why I brought up Kentucky is because I really want people to look up what Lance Stores did when they served that search warrant where he killed three police officers. Oh, and guess what? He happened to be apprehended safely. Why is that? Well, unfortunately, the research shows that race has a lot to do with it. We simply have to admit these facts. I don't like them, but they are what they are. And the minute we recognize them, the better we can address them.
0: Google that case, folks. Lance Stores, S-T-O-R-Z. Rayshawn Ray is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and a professor of sociology at the University of Maryland. You can find him on Twitter at Sociologist Ray. Thank you so much, Rayshawn.
3: Thank you so much, Sasha.